Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives and a bonus perspective this episode. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm the managing partner of Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. And we have a special guest with us here today. Um, I want to set this up a little bit because back in the 215 Inc. days, we had an open submission policy. We still do at Invader. And we got a submission one day from Chris, Chris Dreyer, who's on the call right now. And uh, it was a book called Freaks and Gods. And the second I read it, I was like, this is so cool. It's this awesome love letter to Kirby-esque you know, Silver Age, Golden Age kind of comics. Um, I think this is amazing and everybody else agreed. And here we are. So uh, so we have with us Chris Dreyer, the writer and the inker of Freaks and Gods. Well, hello, how's it going? Yeah, man, it's it's good. I, I had to I had to shove some food in my face. <laughs> of course, of course, God, the gods know when you are recording the podcast early. So my tire pressure indicator went off after I got home and I had allotted just enough time to like shower, eat, whatever. And then it's like, nope, I got to fill up all my tires. So, uh, so that, that messed it up a little bit. So Scott, I see you drinking something that looks quite delicious. What are you drinking for this episode? So it is a Belching Beaver Brewery beer. Say that, you know, 10 times fast. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't even know how to spell that or say that. Uh, I know how to spell it because I'm looking at it. D-I-C-H-O-T-O-M-Y. Oh, dichotomy. Dichotomy. Dichotomy mm-hmm. Double, uh, West Coast Double IPA. And it is a 8%, so very nice. I do love myself a double, um, even a triple, So, but in this case, it's a double. And it's actually uh-huh. quite good. Took my first sip, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Belching Beaver is a San Diego brewery. Yeah. So I love supporting the locals, and uh, I love Belching Beaver. Yeah, rock on, rock on. And then I'm doing, <laughs> I uh, my, my beer fridge is getting pretty slim. So remember a long time ago, Scott, how I talked about that I got a 12-pack of, I think, Kona beer? This is just left over from that 12-pack. It's a variety pack. This is Castaway IPA. Um, It's the only IPA in the house, so my long, long dream of having no more IPAs in the house is is going to be achieved when this one's done. It is uh, 6%, so so not too, too bad. Not too, too bad. And uh, and we know from talking to Chris that Chris has some... uh, Go ahead, Chris. Why don't you say what you have? I'm drinking decaf coffee because it's late where i am i don't want to be up all night but it's in my uh horrible hand coffee mug from freaks and gods nice keep that up there yep uh i made a set of these uh and yeah that's what i'm drinking that is a stick mug it's gonna be gone real fast because i i do love my coffee you're 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 getting close to achieving my dream of a horrible hand merchandising line so i would i I even i have a shirt available somewhere on one of those sites but i never promote it nice do you have a red bubble no i don't um you should check out it you should check it out um i'm i'm going to take advantage of it a little bit more and just, I don't know why I kind of like had a couple of things up there and it would do okay. Like I, I not really, it would just, I get some sales here and there and they kind of have a $20 and over policy. Like they won't give you your money until you pass 20 bucks of what they give you. So like, <laughs> right. so if they sell a backpack, like you can put, you can, um, the cool part about it is you can decorate the item, how you see fit. So you can repeat your image over and over again on one item. It's kind of cool. Um, and so I had a, uh, uh, my hero academia 
All Might drawing I did. The only reason why I did it, it's basically of his lower face because I because masks were popular. So obviously, like everyone needed masks. So I was right. like, oh, I'll do an All Might mask. So it's his giant smile. And then so when you wear the mask, you have All Might smile. But apparently someone bought that as a backpack. And I think it's like a $60 backpack. And I, I got like seven bucks. Oh, so, <laughs> but the, the best Great. part of it, the best part of it, though, is you do nothing else. Like you kind of arrange the, the design where you want it on the T-shirt or whatever, what items you want, want uh, available for purchasers or for purchase. And people just buy it and then they do the rest. They print the item, they make the mm. item, they ship it out and they, you literally do nothing besides upload the art and you get paid. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I like doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> big fan. I'm a big fan. It's a, yeah, been trying it my whole life. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah, to do as nothing as possible. Chris, did you want to add anything about Freaks and Gods? I mean, I gave a quick intro of it, but, you know, people who listen to the podcast, they know Scott and I's books really well. Oh, Actually, I wanted to jump in before you do say something, because I, I, I thought we were going to get into the, the single items for the week. But before you do that... So Keith said that you are the inker and the writer, but I'm looking at the credits on issue one, and it says written, inked, colored, and created by Chris. So that's that's quite a bit of work there, and and I gotta say it's kind of an unusual pairing of like of, of a skill set, and it's kind of cool. So you don't really see a lot of writers that are the inker of the book, uh, and let alone the, the colorist. You know, like you yeah, will get and the, the letterer. See, that's one that's one that I actually see a little bit more. I see writers that do know how to letter. It kind of yeah. helps as far as, um, you know, you're putting the final dialogue down. If you want something rewritten or something like that, you're kind of in control of the dialogue. So I have seen that pairing before. But it's just so interesting to uh, know that you're also the inker and the colors. So how did that come about? Like, did you start off trying to draw and you're like, well, I don't like doing that, but I'm a pretty good inker or or how how'd that happen? Uh, okay, the way it. The way it happened was um, I've always wanted to, to draw comics and um, I learned pretty early, like in my early, early 20s, late teens, that when I draw, it's um, cutesy and cartoony. So um, I started, I picked up a brush and started learning how to ink. I taught myself, I looked at other people's stuff. So I became an inker. I worked for, um, you know, uh, now comics, which is gone now, you know, I worked for a lot of comic book companies in the 90s um, oh, cool. as a professional anchor. So when I was going to decide, when I decided to make my own jobs, which is, you know, these, these books, I just, it didn't even cross my mind that I would pencil it because Freaks and Gods would not be Freaks and Gods if it was drawn like Charles Schultz. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that that's great but that's not what that book is so um i even did an, another book with that with that other guy with that penciler from freaks and gods called unit primes which is a sci-fi character drama which is totally different from fng again hired some penciler because again when i draw it's just cutesy and bubbly and cartoony and so that is that is why it's that way. But, you know, now that you mention it, um, I didn't think I was doing anything out of the ordinary. I just, you know, if I can't do it, I found someone who could. And that penciler is, is it Giuseppe D'Elia? It's just Giuseppe D'Elia. Yeah. Giuseppe D'Elia. Did he do the whole run? I got to read the first issue. So I didn't, I didn't get to see the other ones. And um, the, art, the art was the same. I tried to see if I could, like, 
Short answer, no, he did not do issue three. Okay. But that was because I was trying to like be like, hey, I'm going to get two pencils done at the same time because I had some extra money and I thought I could have issues three and four ready and I could just ink them at my, at my, you know, my own pace. It didn't work out that way because the pencil for three was fast at first and then slowed down towards the end and then just have had some so it didn't it really was really no reason to have a different penciler for issue three but otherwise yeah he's he, um he's on for the long haul on this one. Oh, nice and is this something is this an ongoing series is it going to just keep going or does it have an end point there is i don't know if keith knows this or not considering you know vader and everything but I have no endpoint. There's, there's really no, I don't write for trades. So when I'm asked to give like a title for the first, for the first trade, I don't have one. It's just non, it's just ongoing. So I, you know, I've, I'm in stone for eight issues, but I've got uh, 12, I got eight, four more after that plan. So. Oh, I mean, that's good to hear. That's also <laughs> yeah. in line with Scott, right? Scott's book second shift is, is ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's all about, I mean, we had a conversation, you know, about that a couple of episodes ago, because Kadoja is a book that has a finite end. Um, and, and, but that's also, you know, both things can be exciting in their own way. There's something well, very appealing about absolutely. a book that goes on forever and one that ends, you know. Um, uh, so I, I, after yeah. reading the first issue, I, I really like the style of it. It's very, it's very throwback. It's very uh, like, kind of like Stan Lee-ish in a way. It's kind of, it has that old vibe to it. It's a lot of uh, narration along with the story. Uh, it's, it's very cool. So is every character in this book a public domain? Um, no, no. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the, main, the main three characters, the traveling trio, as I call them, uh, Bargeist, Atom, and Steve Step, those are my creation. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to do that for two reasons. One, those characters just like came to me one day. I had like a bunch of different ideas and it all just funneled together. Also, if you use a public domain character, that's sometimes I get concerned that one day I may get a phone call. Hey, you need to stop doing that. Even though they're public domain, you just don't know. And I don't like to take chances like that. So I figure they can take all the public domain characters away, but they can't take my trio away. <laughs> And I can still do this book without public domain. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get to what we did this week. So Scott, you get to go first, man. What was your What was your big thing you did this week? Um, there was so I have a uh, I have a couple of things, so we're just going to go over them. I'm going to go over them super quick since we wanted to do a kind of like a one and done. But I mm -hmm. actually took a day where I was watching tutorials and uh, going along with them. It was just. It, it was nice. It felt like going back to school for a day. And honestly, artists, you guys should be doing that anyway. You guys should be honing your craft. You should be um, sketching a lot more. And it's something I wish I had more time to do. Unfortunately, when you're an artist and you have deadlines, you're trying to hit them. And so a lot of that random doodling that you got to do or just random sketching, it kind of goes by the wayside. There's just so much time in a day. So um, I'm doing a lot of exploring and learning on the page most of the time, but uh, I actually took a day. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm kind of burnt, and I just I kind of feel like learning a little bit. And so I was watching a Dave Finch tutorial about um, just the title was very catchy. Like I was on YouTube, and he has a YouTube channel. It's a very good channel. You guys should check it out. I've uh, recommended it before, but if you hadn't heard, 
go watch the David Finch channel. It's very good. Uh, he was talking about swiping. Don't swipe. Here's how to here's how to swipe in a good way. So it was something along those lines. That's what the title was. And I was like, okay, let's see what he's talking about. And uh, it was it was very cool. It was like, hey, I like to look for images that are striking to me or very interesting, and I try to draw them in my own way. And so like he, he had a, uh, I think it was like a Mike Golden uh, image or something like that. And he's just like, I really like this pose. And so he kind of tackled it from a lower angle. He's like, I wonder what this angle would look like lower. So he drew it uh, at a lower angle. And he goes, well, I wonder if I could change the arm. So he was doing kind of those things. He's like, you can take, you can kind of have a foundation that you're looking at. You don't, you don't swipe it. You don't steal the pose a hundred percent, but it gives you an idea. It gives you a base to jump off of. So you like this pose. There's something about it that you enjoy and you can kind of repurpose it. So if you change the arms around, if you slightly move the legs and uh, boom, someone is going to say, Hey, that's a really cool pose. They're not going to go, Hey, that's a Mike Golden uh, from issue, blah, 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 blah. They're not going to see that. They're not going to. And I was just like, oh, that's that's pretty clever. So I actually just started drawing along with him. I did the Mike Golden pose and um, and then I did his pose and then I did one of my own. And I was like, oh, this is really good. I really like the way this looks. So that was something that was fun and informative. And, uh, you know, it wasn't productive in the sense that it's giving me product. I'm not doing interiors or anything like that or a pinup. But it it uh, helps the mind, you know. As an artist, you want to keep moving forward. You don't want to be stagnant in your craft. And so, doing little things like this is very important. And it was really fun. So, um, my recommendation to you artists out there: uh, grab a book, grab one of your favorite artists, uh, uh, one of his books, flip through it, look at some poses. If if you're if you're skilled enough, you might be able to do that same pose, but maybe at a different angle, you know, or or you can use it as the base as, as Dave Finch did, and then expand upon it, change where some limbs are or something like that, create, create your own pose. So it's very fun, very interesting. Um, the main thing I did this week beyond that was I finished that last page. So I had mentioned in the previous episode that uh, Second Shift issue 12, it was my Drawtober event turned into a fully formed comic. I wanted to add interior pages and panels per page, uh, stuff that wasn't part of my Drawtober. And I had one one page that I wanted wanted to uh, add to it as a cliffhanger. You know, you want to keep your books exciting for the reader. You don't want to feel like that it's finite, like that they can be done after reading that issue. You want to hook them for the next one. So, uh, you know, the Drawtober thing, it had a conclusion uh, in its own way, but I wanted to bring them in for the next issue, the next storyline. And so I drew a page and uh, I got that finished and I actually got a little help from the aliens. Um, uh, draw hard uh, one of the accidental aliens he's a graffiti artist and the the page that i did there's a graffiti artist kid in it and he's tagging up the wall and and uh so i was hitting him up for some information i'm like hey man what what if you're gonna go tag up a wall in the middle of the night what would you wear like a beanie a hoodie you know baggy pants a backpack like that's what i was thinking for this character and he said no man that's too obvious he goes you kind of want to look casual so like you know a a a button down flannel, just open, you know, some jeans and, uh, you know, beanie's fine, but lose the backpack. And I was like, okay. And he goes, yeah, you can, you know, another thing that they do is like, they kind of look homeless. Sometimes they'll dress kind of homeless so they can act like they're homeless. If the police come by, they'll just jump in the dumpster or whatever, you know, just <laughs> kind of be a part of the scene. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but I wanted to kind of draw a younger character 
like a teenager. So I was like, ah, oh, we won't go that route. But I did. So I took his advice. I drew him with a flannel, kept the beanie on some jeans and some, you know, skater shoes or whatever. And uh, that was really helpful. And as I was drawing the page, I was sending him, sending him the way, way things looked, how, how stuff was coming out. And he goes, yeah, that looks good. And I was like, hey, man, what do you think of this? You up for tagging up that wall, like on panel two, three, and four? And he goes, yeah, man, I'm down. I'll tag it up. So I sent him the Photoshop file of the page. And we both work in Procreate a lot. And so, you know, he opened it up and he tagged up the wall. And he, he, uh, he had a cool way of doing it, too. He actually tagged on a 11 by 17 sheet of paper. And it was cool. He was like, hey, is there any kind of like Easter eggs you want me to write in there? Any names or anything you want me to put on the wall? And I was like, oh, shit, that's a great idea. So I sent him like four or five things. And uh, one was like Joaquin Kills. That's my colorist. So I wanted to put that on there. And I put the accidental aliens. And so he actually tagged in a bunch of different formats and styles on a sheet of paper. And he formatted it to the panels, like the angles of the panels. So it was super cool. Um, and he sent that over super fast. And uh, the page is done, man. I flatted it and everything. So it's ready to roll. That's dope. It also gives, it also has given me a new addition to my life mantras that, that I'd like to live by. And one that I'm going to do now is when in trouble, jump in the dumpster. <laughs> it's, it's a great out. It's a great I like out. I'm, hom- I'm homeless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you talking about? I'm homeless. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was, that was, that was pretty cool, man. I, I that's, that was just, that's just neat, you know, that you knew a, a dude who tags up stuff. And that you got, you kind of got all this information and, um, and some, some work as part of it, man. Yeah, a little help in hand, never hurt anybody. So he'll get a credit in there. Um, That's one thing I like about the aliens is we're a diverse cast, you know, like we all have a bunch of different skill sets that the other don't have. And it's just super cool. You know, Emily Rocha, she's a, she is a painter, a watercolorist. She works in gouache sometimes. Um, Draw, he's a, he's a B-boy. He, you know, he's a graffiti artist, the B-boy. Rodney's also a B-boy, Rodney Anderson. And he just has a different style. And uh, it's cool, man. It's cool when you get all these people around you and, you know, you can lean on him. Oh, Tristan, Tristan Whitehouse, of course. He's part of the second shift team. He's a letterer. He's a graphic designer. So uh, jack of all trades, man. Crazy. Well, here's what's weird, too. Lance Pilgrim, the guy who does art design for Kadoja and for Three Protectors, he's a B-boy. Oh, right on. <laughs> The guy I did my last podcast with, the vinyl exam, 175 episodes about records, he was a B-boy. So maybe what we're accidentally telling people is B-boys are super creative (laughs) and and you should, you should do as many things with B-boys as possible. Absolutely. Uh, So let's see, that that gets us to me. So for me, my, my thing worth talking about this week is kind of a, a, because I love circuitous routes, it was a circuitous path to an artist. So listeners of the podcast will know that over the last couple of weeks, I've been on this building quest for Three Protectors, right? Three Protectors is going to get kickstarted in March. It's going to come out in, I don't know, May, June, something like that. The book's pretty much done. And in prepping for the Kickstarter, it's really gotten me, you know, I, I have this little rule that don't kickstart anything unless the next book has a plan. Three Protectors is more of like a mini graphic novel. It's 66 interior pages. So you can do one of those a year and you can feel pretty good about yourself. You know, when it comes to like a 24 page comic, 
I mean, in the indie world, you could do that once every four, six months and it wouldn't matter. You know, Chris is cranking them out every couple, which is awesome. But in my case, you know, it's I'm taking a little bit more time and I'm trying to juggle other properties and stuff, all that. So um, I, I, I'm in this spot where I'm like, yeah, I'm really thinking about three protectors. And then Lance hits me up and he's like, let's talk about artists for volume two. I'm like, okay, let's talk about artists for volume two. So he sends me a bunch of people he likes through Instagram. And then we have a meeting of the minds on who we like the most. So I proceed to kind of go down that list and I get to the first one. Um, they say they can't take on work right now. I get to the second one. I don't hear back. I hit up who I thought was the third one. And the third guy's like, yeah, 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 I can take on some work. So I tell Lance, Hey, our third choice is good. He's like, he wasn't my third choice. He was yours. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. okay. So, so I, I then, I then look at his third and fourth choices and I'm like, cause he was his fifth, this artist. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I see why Lance likes these people. But then I really studied their Instagram stuff and I'm looking, you know, at like, what do I like about them? What I don't like. So I send him a text the next day and I say, Hey, look, I don't think the third and fourth artists that you like are a good choice for three protectors. I think this artist is a better choice. He's like, okay, that's cool by me. Like, go ahead and go for that guy. So I send that guy a note. And in the meantime, I'd kind of couched it. Like maybe you'd like to work on a giant monster book instead. Cause I need artists for both my books right now. And he was like, look, dude, I'm down for whatever. You just tell me. <laughs> Two days go by. I kind of keep on talking to the artist. And then Lance says, here's somebody else I really like for the artist. And then he gives me another name. And then I'm, I'm thinking like, that's weird. Uh, I thought, sort of thought this was settled, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but then we start going back and forth. And uh, so I send a note off to this artist. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then of course, what I'm doing is I'm reading the room. I'm like, Lance is not super thrilled with this artist working on three protectors. That's fine. I think he's a good fit for three protectors and he might be, but I think he's an excellent fit for Kadoja. And oh. like I was just saying, you know, Kadoja number one is done. And to the rule I just made, I'm not kickstarting that unless two has begun. Because, you know, with three protectors, that's a graphic novel. That's once every year. I can wait a little bit on that. But with Kadoja, you know, like, I don't want to kickstart number one with absolutely no idea when number two is out, who the artist is, any of that stuff. So... I amend it and I just tell Lance, look, we're in no hurry with three protectors as the next artist. Why don't I get this guy in Kadoja? I love him. You know, I think he's going to do more work. He could end up being three protectors, but let, let, I'll get him on Kadoja for now. He's like, great idea. And then we'll just play it by ear for three protectors volume two. And again, Lance did like this artist, but I get the feeling like Lance is Lance really wants to go for these people who, you know, are, are he, he wanted a guy with like 350,000 followers. And that is, that is roughly 1,000 times the followers I have, <laughs> right? And, uh, and Instagram tends to be very statistic-based. So if people see a note, like, I, I'm not even sure that guy will ever read a note or an email that I've sent him. Like, these people work for, like, powerhouse animation studios, and they do whatever they want in their spare time. Sometimes you'll get lucky. In fact, I've gotten lucky with a few people because they're like, hey, yeah, this is just a spare time gig, but I like I like your Kadoja a lot. So I'll do something for you. I'll do a cover. I'll do whatever. So maybe maybe the person will get back. Maybe they're not. Anyway, I wanted to do this whole thing because we've arrived at the part where I have an artist for Kadoja number two, Kadoja volume four, number two, and he's going to get started in March. And then I can really start talking about it then. So uh, I'm excited. It, it means that I have to write the script by then, which is, which is not written. 
not written at all. It is, it is outlined in skeleton. Christy, when you outline your scripts, do you do skeleton? Do you do like a scene skeleton form or do you do it another way? Um, a paragraph. And then this happens. And then this happens. And then I break it down by like, that could be a page. That could be these three sentences could be two pages. Yeah. And then I write. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. Not that much different. Just mild differences, right? I do a scene skeleton where I'm like, in this scene, this thing happens, whatever it is, you know, the big bird goes on a shooting spree. Right. And then okay, the I'm next... writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> He's not public domain though. So be aware. <laughs> right. But um, Winnie the Pooh is. Is he really? Winnie Without his shirt. <laughs> Without a shirt. He cannot right. have a red shirt on. There was an artist. He, he posted one up um, and it was a Winnie the Pooh. It was clever. And I was like, fuck, like, I wish I would have thought of that. It's Winnie the Pooh with the red scarf. And oh, I was nice. like, fuck, that looks, that. yeah, it looks very like you go. Yeah, that's totally Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, but it's legal. Like, do you have a blue shirt on? Uh, I don't No, I don't think so. You can't have I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, it, it's like the red shirt Winnie the Pooh belongs to Disney. So that's their okay. version. So if you fuck with that. You got Disney fucking with you. And they're yeah, gonna come yeah. and take take Chris's whole empire, and you're like, not my three characters. Yeah, he's gonna be like, just just don't take the horrible hand mugs, and they're like, no, fuck fuck your horrible hand mugs. We're taking those two. Yeah, yeah. And they smash it as they walk out. Yeah. <laughs> this is right, this is they, bootleg. They have, they have such powerful lawyers. They can even take the trio. You know, like, we own them now. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, you have no right to that. We don't care. Yeah, we're taking. <laughs> they're ours. Um, so, so anyway, so that, that was my big thing. I did a couple other small things, but that was the thing worth talking about. So Chris, how about you? What was like the big thing or kind of combination of things under one umbrella that you did this last week? Uh, okay. Well, first let me start. I like to comment first on what Scott said, and that is he went out and he checked. You, you just did some quick, simple research to see what happens like in real world with the tagging. Right. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I just think that, um, a simple something simple like that really can make the difference i find a lot of people sometimes they just forget they can google something and find something closer to the truth than what they've been drawing and writing all the time um i like that yeah my my buddy the one that i asked about it he he made a comment about it like and i just you know because um i did i like consulting people that are in the world of what i'm drawing so in Second Shift 11, which was also another Drawtober project uh, from 2020, there was a scene with a military. And one of my buddies, he works for Marvel now, but he was a Marine for uh, like four years or something like that. And I was like, hey, man, uh, so I got these army guys or these military guys saying stuff like this is the gist of what they're saying. How would you say that? Or how would someone that was in the military say that? And so he gave me a couple of examples and I was like, Oh, great. I would not have known that at all. You know, and it's just, it's dialogue that as a civilian, I'm not familiar with. And so, you know, if someone in the military reads that issue, they go, Hey, this is legit. This is, this is what, you know, that sounds like that's, that's how we talk. This is what we would say over, over the, the mic. Um, and as far as the, the tagger goes, I, when I was consulting my, my studio mate draw, he goes, yeah, man, that's the one thing I hate when I read comics or if I, if I see something, he goes, it doesn't stand up. It's like not legit to me. He goes, I can tell it's not, they don't know what they're doing. Like, that's not how we would do it. And, and so I was just like, Oh, fucking a, I'm glad I, I asked him about it. Cause that's a great detail. Yeah. I, that makes sense. And I think 
in something like tagging, there's so much real world stuff out there. But there's also, you know, sometimes too, like to your point, Chris, you could do a simple Google search and just knock out a few things. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also something to be said for things that seem authentic, even if they're not. You know what I mean? Like if there's a feel of authenticity, you know, like I was just in my workshop uh, last night, my novel workshop, and someone had a line that a cop was thinking. And I liked it because it gave me insight into the police. It may not be right or not, <laughs> but right. what I like is it's not something you could have cribbed from a cop show, you know? And, uh, right. and so again, there's, you know, there's obviously some degree of flexibility. You want to stick to real world, but yeah, to Chris's point, I, I agree with that, Scott. It, you know, I actually, if I had drawn a, a tagger, that's exactly how I would have drawn him. Black, black gear, black knit cap, etc. So yeah, that's, that's pretty savvy. Yeah. I, that it's, I mean, it's, I've always said, I like, okay, this is, this goes to that. I like science fiction when they hop in the spaceship and they go to the planet. I don't need to know how that ship works. The ship <laughs> just needs to be real. Like, um, if you don't know how to make a pot of coffee and you're writing a story, Google how to make a pot of coffee. Don't Google how the pot actually, the physics behind it works. I don't care. Just make sure that they do it in order. If you don't right. know. So, I mean, you don't, you don't need to get super detailed, but I think that I, I, I've heard a lot of, you know, conversations at conventions and at comic book stores and people would ask me questions and a lot of people would just, um, they would just gloss over those sorts of things where it really is something as simple as, you know, nowadays with social media, you're probably only two people away from finding out the, a close enough answer so you can continue on in your story. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a great point as far as the um, how did they get to the planet? How does the machine work? I don't care. Like, I, I don't need to know all that. It's like, that's not my expertise. My expertise is telling you the story and why it's fun. Like, that's what I'm doing here, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, I just I just cover it by saying, oh, the it was at the dawn of time and it's quantum and it's semi-sentient. Toss out large words confuse people and they're like holy crap that guy's smart like no it's it's really when it comes down to it in for my case it's magic but i make it sound like science <laughs> don't look behind the curtain <laughs> there's me you know right uh okay so what did i do this week oh, the, oh another thing keith you had mentioned you don't do a kickstarter without a, another one ready mm-hmm. i did a kickstarter back in 2020 for tales of the dark tunnel which was like an offshoot yeah no plan to do another one until I started getting all the, the reviews and the people telling me they wanted more. So. Yeah. But that's, but that's a different problem, isn't it, Chris? You yeah. intended that as a one shot and yes. people liked it so much that they did more. And then that makes you go like, Oh, maybe there are more. So I, I, I think that's a little bit different because you had always intended on that being a one-off within the freaks mm-hmm. and gods universe, as opposed to kind of its own thing. Right. Exactly. Well, the primary reason, okay. I know we're getting it too long on this, but uh, I was on Patreon and I thought, well, hey, maybe if I just did like, if I turned it into a subscription service for my book, rather than just like the content I would create, you know, like the how to's and the behind. So I was going to do that. And uh, the book that that one shot really came from the fact that my penciler, who I have worked with, the penciler I work with, Giuseppe, I've worked with him. So I got 10 years now on different books. Um, Never missed a deadline, always turned things around. It was always, always treated everything like it was his project too, not just get a paycheck. Um, he's like, hey, I would really like to draw some 
some actual, he said actual, because I guess freaks and gods aren't actual golden age heroes. So this project came from just trying to make him happy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought, hey, that sounds like fun. Uh, and then I kickstarted it. It did it way better than I thought. And then people liked it. So he's excited because we're probably going to do more. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you didn't expect people to be like, yeah, when, when am I getting more of that? Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. There was I thought they'd be like, yeah, I thought they'd be like, oh, that was that was cool. Thanks. When's, yeah. when's Freaks and Gods coming out? I didn't realize that they would. Sometimes I don't think things through. What did yeah. I do this week? Um, apparently, I have a Kickstarter coming out on Monday. So I spent a lot of time redoing covers and getting a special um, Kickstarter uh, exclusive ready for that uh, for the Freaks and Gods number. Volume 2, number 1, uh, starts on Monday. So I did yeah. some coloring on and then um, I had to do uh, uh, a logo. I Okay, so the normal book, Freaks and Gods, I have a Marvel 70s style banner on top. But for something, for the special things, I like to use a DC 70s style that I have. Oh, wait, it's, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to send uh, it to Scott. I'm going to send it to Scott because okay, it's perfect. watching it out. So um, I like to use, a, uh, uh, like I said, a DC Comics 70s style where they have the banner, like the title. There's mm -hmm. that straight bar across the top with the, with the DC bullet in the middle. And then they have like information and maybe like a floating head. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen that from D DC. Yeah, I like absolutely. to use that to kind of differentiate it from the regular series. But I created a, a new Invader Comics to fit in there. And um, I don't know which, which one Mike went with but i made two so i spent the, the week really just trying to hammer out um logos and covers yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so i just sent it to scott and okay, cool. uh and i i will say that i i gave a, a strong vote you made two covers one of them had uh, so i i mentioned to mike and kevin at invader i was like i like i, I like the one with the tentacles and then Mike, okay. uh, Mike comes back with, they both have the tentacles. <laughs> and uh, so, so the thing is that in the Invader logo, there are like seven different iterations of the logo. And one of them is, is these space tentacles. And mm -hmm. uh, but, so it turned out I preferred the one with the circle logo because I thought that was cool. And I thought it was more 70s retro-y, whatever. You know, it, it forms a nice button in the top of the ribbon for the cover. Yeah, it looks very cool, man. I'm digging it. Um, yeah, I do like the tentacles. Um, it's kind of like, oh yeah, as I zoom in, you could totally see that they're tentacles. Like when it's very tiny, just on the phone, it looked like roots almost kind of like the Oakland logo. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm digging it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that is, that is the, so a, a quick, a quick thing here, the Kickstarter, since we record this in advance of when it airs, that is a Kickstarter that's been out for a week. It launched on, I think the 20th. January 24th. Yeah, yeah, and so that means this episode is going to air on January 31st, uh, a week after uh, the Kickstarter is live. So the Kickstarter is live right now. You can do a search for Freaks and Gods, and you should come up with the one that's relevant. It's Freaks and Gods Volume 2, Number 1. And you know you're in the right place when you see a really cool, what is that, lavender? Chris, is that the lavender, the main color? Yeah, I I just kind of kind of landed on purple i just kind of like that <laughs> that's the color of the energy of the dark tunnel so i just oh, nice i just stuck with it is um so when you when you put the kickstarter up are you going to do the ampersand or are you going to write and for and freaks and gods 
Boy, I got to look that up now. You're you're testing it. You're testing. Okay. It. You're testing. Uh, I'm, it. Yeah, I'm not sure if the ampersand will show up uh, if someone writes and. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm, yeah, I'm curious yeah. about that. Like when I tell people about second shift, I always make sure to say two ND, not mm -hmm. S-E-C-O-N-D. It's uh, when you look it up, write the two ND. Yeah, um, I was actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually always write it with the ampersand. That's just, it just looks cleaner. The the banner has it like snug in the middle of the, of the freaks and the gods. I just prefer it that way. Mm -hmm. But um it's not offensive if someone writes and. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious about the search engine more than anything. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, because, um, yeah, like when I when I tell people to look for the Kickstarter, I make sure to spell it out for them so, so it shows up. But I'm not sure if ampersand would show up, show up if someone writes freaks, A-N-D, gods. You know what I mean? Yep, I hear you. It is ampersand. I, okay. had, I had some Wi-Fi problems, but it is, in fact, freaks and freaks, ampersand, gods. Volume two, number one. <laughs> and for you listeners out there that don't know what ampersand is, it's that symbol that represents and. Yeah. It looks like a fancy S. It is the, it is the uh, if, if you buy a bag of M&Ms, then in most countries, <laughs> yeah. you're going to see M ampersand M. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a backwards cursive S. Essentially. Yeah. Although, uh, fun fact, I can't remember what this is. See, this is, this is the one thing my marketing degree got me, apparently is that in one country, they don't have an ampersand. Mm. And, and M&Ms tried to, had to market it. And they're like, there's no ampersand in your alphabet. And I believe they went with, it's like E-M-A-N-D, E-M-A-I-Z-E or something like that. They just tried to phonetically do it, M&Ms, <laughs> right? I can't remember exactly what it is. But. And that's how the rapper got, that's how Slim Shady got his name. Exactly. And then there was some kid in Detroit who had a sick flow and he was like, I like this. I yeah, like totally. Um, that's where they, and by the way, that's just where they don't have it. It's actually just Detroit. <laughs> Detroit's just made a collective thing of like, fuck ampersand. They're like, um, you guys don't use ampersand here? Like, what the fuck is ampersand? <laughs> Uh, okay, so I mean, we, we kind of caught up on our on our weeks. So we wanted to get to this week's main topic, which we've already talked about a little bit. And uh, we're just gonna play it by ear as Scott and I tend to do 100% of the time, and uh, have a conversation on something that Chris and Scott both share, which is the use of public domain characters. And uh, maybe so let's just start from there. I guess, Scott, Maybe why don't you talk to talk a little bit about your journey in going to the public domain, and then Chris, feel free to pick it up whenever you like. Yeah, honestly, it's a kind of a new development for me. I would say the last two to three months, I've really been into uh, diving into the public domain world. My buddy, Steve Whistler Jr., is actually the one that got me into it, and so we'll be hearing from him a little bit at the end of this episode. I got something from him. Um, uh, he, he was telling me about Golden Age Daredevil you know, the Black Terror, characters like that. And um, it, I, honestly, I can't, I can't even remember what, what it was, like what triggered it. But what started happening, uh, Chris, was I started drawing my characters with Golden Age heroes. Like, I just needed an image for the back of my book. I was like, I need a pinup or something. What would be interesting? One of my buddies mentioned public domain. He goes, Eric Larson uses these characters all the time. I'm a big Image Comics fan. Uh, I love Savage Dragon. So I was like, oh, no shit. I've seen those characters. I've seen him draw those characters. 
And uh, I was like, I can just use those characters. Yeah, they're totally public domain. There's no license on them. Essentially, you just can't um, use someone else's modified costume of that character. You have to use the original costume uh, if you want to use that. You can, you can modify it yourself. You can, you can do your own modifications, but you can't use someone else's. So like uh, something you touched on earlier was someone telling you, you can't use these characters anymore for whatever reason. And that's why you have your main characters. Right. And so that goes to like blue beetle, for instance, the original blue beetle beetle is public domain, but don't fuck with DC's blue beetle. Then you got some problems. So um, another thing, daredevil, the golden age daredevil came way before Marvel's daredevil. Daredevil is copywritten and trademarked by Marvel. So you can't have the words daredevil on the cover. So, so I understand. Um, so the way around that is you can have his name up there, but it has to be combined with something. And I think, uh, what, what Larson likes to do is the daring or like, uh, the dynamic daredevil or something like that. And then, so it kind of jumps that trademark and it's, it, and, you know, you do it in a different font or whatever. So the thing is not confusing their trademark with your character, the character that you're using. So that's the way around it. So. I found this whole world, all this information, very fascinating. And uh, that's what I've been doing on the back of my issues. So, uh, so on the back covers, I've de dedicated that space to having my my comic characters team up with uh, Golden Age characters um, just for the hell of it and kind of doing a one image story on the back of the cover. That, that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, the thing I've noticed about public domain because I've been on um, uh, I'm a member of like two or three Facebook groups they're relatively large great community these people just love public domain and if you put out a quality public domain you know they're they're, they're just fantastic I mean I, I chalk up the success of the books I have so far to primarily hitting those groups and letting them know that my book is out there um, but what I do see is this obsession with this, with like Dare, okay, Daredevil, um, Blue, Blue Beetle, these characters that are also trademarked at a certain point in their run, they became, they're, they're owned now by DC or mm -hmm. Marvel. Why even skirt that? Well, why even try to go there? Just there's so much else in public domain. I, I, I just, I, I read these posts from, from these, from these, um, you know, comments and stuff, and the art is always awesome, but I just think, man, there's so many other characters that are there. I I avoid the ones that are, like, always used. I, I'm never going to do a Black Terror. I'm never going to do any of these primary characters. Um, even the, the three I used for my Kickstarter is getting too close to some of the ones because they're always used, you know. But you're right. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think, isn't that a fine line, though? You know, I think it's, I mean, I think we, some, I think as in our nature is the fact that it's, it's this balance, right? You, it's an irony too. You want to use the public domain, but you don't want to go too deep into the public domain because then absolutely no one gets it. You know, if, if you do a cover, if you do, if you're doing a cover song for the fans, you're not going to pick you know, a deep cut off in Tombs album, you know, you're going to pick a Metallica song or you're going to pick something people know in general for the fans. Yeah. And I think that's, I think 
the reason why those characters are used so much is because they're identifiable, like right away. You're like, oh, I love that. Um, like Daredevil, for instance, I do love Daredevil. That was the first pinup I did, the, the single uh, image story was with Daredevil because he was one of the first public domain characters that I knew. And I was like, I could just use that guy. Like I could use it and it's okay. <laughs> you know, and, and to me, it's like, the more familiar you are with public domain, the big, the big bads, like the Black Terror, you know, uh, uh, Daredevil. Um, you know, when, when you use those characters, it's like your characters are teaming up with Batman. Like that's the appeal of it is like, yeah, they are all over the place and it's okay because you're not going to get in trouble. Like as long as you're using the original costumes, like that's the catch 22. Don't use anyone else's like, um, and, and like, I, I, and I get it too. Cause it's like dynamite has a public domain series with daredevil and uh, the black terror and, you know, some other characters. So it's like, I get it. It's like there, there comes a point where, you're kind of on the line of what is too popular and, and potentially like, it seems like it's owned, but it isn't owned. That's the best part. It's like, yeah, dynamite. I can use the same team that you did. I'll use the same people. I just won't do any alter alternations to the costumes like you did. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not coming from a place where I'm like, well, because it's popular, I hate it. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, You're such a just, hipster. Just, just, but yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Look at I you. totally look it. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally get it because right. it, again, it's, it's this tug of war. It's this tug of war between familiarity that people are going to recognize and be like, yes, I love the black terror. I love golden age daredevil versus some shit. That's just this deep cut where one person might know it, but you're just doing it because it's cool. AKA my decision to cover a deep cut on Entomb's second album. You're doing it because it's cool and because you like the song. And then maybe there's that one guy in the crowd that's like, holy shit, that's from Entomb's second album. And you're like, you're right, it is. You know, like that kind of thing. Okay, well, I did have something like that happen. Um, what I do is I try to take um, the obscure ones. And sometimes when my first reaction to a character is, wow, that is stupid. Typically, that is going to be one I'm going to use. <laughs> the horrible hand is a great example. He's the disembodied floating hand, right, left hand of Satan himself. You don't get any better than that. Uh, Boy King and his giant. I mean, that's like people know of that, but, you know, um, but what I do is I take these obscure ones and I try to make them cool. <laughs> very, Within very, reason. Right. The very Jeff Johns thing to do, you know, like he would take these g-list characters from dc and you'd actually make something out of them and it was super it was it's definitely a super cool thing to do as far as the horrible hand goes so i was reading the first issue of freaks and gods uh spoilers if if you guys haven't re well we're talking about the horrible hand the horrible hand is part of one of the spoilers in the first exactly issue. yeah so no no spoilers hopefully never mind you're intrigued there. and you and you go grab the volume one of the trade when it's there okay <laughs> yes so i was so when i was reading the first issue there was a couple of pages where the horrible hand and the tomb were in the same scene together. And his left hand looks like uh, the horrible hand's hand. It looks the same. It's the same skin color. Like it has the claws and everything. I was like, and that's the right hand. So I'm thinking the left hand of a tomb is actually the left hand of the devil or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's the same right. hand. It's the same body. So I'm probably wrong. But that was a little story I had going on in my head. And I thought that was <laughs> Well, did, did it all pan out? Did it make sense? 
<laughs> well, I only read the first issue, so so okay. it, it, ends with, it ends with them le- leaving the um, the cave, and mm-hmm. then you know they get whisked away to to wherever they are. So um, I don't know what happens there, but uh, but that's that's all I got, and and uh, you know that was just my, my I dig little, it. I dig it as my little as uh, conspiracy as I was reading it. <laughs> so no. Chris, what what first got you into the public domain stuff? You had to have some you know, inception of it where you're like, I want to use public domain characters. Where did that come from? Um, I honestly don't know how far back I like discovered it. And it was like one of these, like, oh, I've been reading comics my whole life and I'm kind of an old guy. But uh, I started discovering that most of AC Comics was public domain. Um, Mr. Monster was public domain. I I had no idea. I felt like stupid. It's like the person going in to see Phantom Menace and is surprised to find out that you know, um, Senator Palpatine is going to be the emperor one day. That's kind of how I felt. <laughs> is is Mr. Monster, is that the one that um, uh, uh, Simon Bisley would always draw? Michael, oh gosh, what's his name? I can't think of his name right now. Someone's going to have to Google it. More more importantly, I want to mention, Chris, that that <laughs> you, we didn't even have to encourage people out there to drink. Scott and I have a joke. That whenever we do a Star Wars reference, people probably can take a drink, and uh, and you did it unprompted. So I'm really excited oh. for that. <laughs> yeah, I had to switch to water because I ran out of coffee already. Yeah, so. yeah. So so everybody out there that's listening, waiting for the Star Wars reference, there was your chance right there. Okay, so so and, yeah, and Mister Monster is the the character that Simon Bisley would draw. Uh, okay, quite a bit. Okay, yeah. yeah. Super badass design like that. He's definitely up there. Oh, and going back to Chris, what something you said, um, using characters that aren't always used, the ones that are kind of like a little more obscure. I actually asked my buddy Steve because he's a well of knowledge. He's kind of one of those, I don't know, just very rare people who's younger than me, and I'm 41, so he's younger than me, but he has a, a well of knowledge. Well or wealth? Either way. Uh, I'll take him. Either both. Yeah. Drowning in a, in, in a wealth of knowledge. There we it's go. It's a well full of dollars. That's oh right. <laughs> um, he knows so much about it because his father was into comics. So he was raised on older comics. So just growing up, he just knows so much about public domain. It's just so fascinating to me. So I asked him, I said, look, I, I don't know anything about this. Give me a list of your favorite public domain characters so I can check them out. And so he listed a ton of shit for me. And I think one of them was, um, it's kind of a ridiculous looking character, but I think I'm going to use it anyway in one of my future pinups. It's like Doll Man. And I think it's a Steven, Steve Ditko creation. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if I might be wrong. But um, it's like, I don't know, he kind of looks like Robin. He has tiny little, it looks like he has a woman's bathing suit on, essentially. Like, uh, and uh, But he is like a homunculus. Like he's this tiny little... He's like a, the size of a doll, essentially, like a mm-hmm. Barbie. And um, I think I'm going to use him just because it's so bizarre and so weird. And then also the uh, the history of the character, who who the creator is. I was like, well, that's fucking awesome. Like, I want that on the back of my book. It'd be weird as shit, but I'll I, you know I'm going to do it. Right. Um, well, okay. First of all, I I don't know everything there is to know about public domain, especially the legal portion of it. Um, but what. I do is like, like going back to what Keith was uh, asked me. I just suddenly found myself finding these characters, and I thought, "Wow, these are really cool. I'd like to do something with them one day." And I was—I just never was able to figure out what I wanted to do. And then 
like lightning, I had like three or four different ideas. Perhaps this has happened to, to, to you, you guys before where you have two or three unrelated ideas and then you get like a lightning strike of, 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 of an idea where it can funnel everything into one. That's kind of what happened. Yeah, with, yeah, totally. This. But I gave myself a challenge and I'm still trying to stick with this. And I, I would challenge anyone who was going to use public domain to, to do this. Um, I, I have Freaks and Gods volume two, volume two, number two, which I know as issue six, already finished. It's done. It was done over a year ago. Um, but when I was going to write that one, I said to my, uh, my wife, what should I do? And she said, do an underwater adventure. So I searched for water-based public domain characters. I found the literally the first three I could find. I, I picked one and then I made it work. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did basically for the first four, four issues of Freaks and Gods. I literally made it work. I found a way to make these characters fit into a, you know, sometimes they didn't. And I just had to ditch them and go to the next one. But literally, I was just trying to make it work because I was thinking, and this is a really weird way to look at it. Um, maybe I can work on this and one day someone will hire me to write their book. And I'm going to need to be able to be like, okay, well, I, I got to make this work. Mm -hmm. But try that. Take like, you know, a sci-fi character and a Western public domain character and make a story. That's yeah, I mean, what I, I did. I, I think there's a lot of merit in that. I mean, number one, teaching yourself to make stuff work. And number two, there, there's a strong argument to be made that you know, sometimes you need limitations to create. Sometimes the, the, the infinite possibilities can be overwhelming. And the second you limit yourself, there comes the idea. So yeah, man, I, I mean, there's a lot of merit to that. I can relate to that in some past stuff that I've done. I don't always look at the superhero books. I look in the horror anthologies. Um, issue four of Freaks and Gods had Queen Zeta. That came from a science fiction anthology series. It was a one issue story, like four pages, five pages of how she lost her, her king. And she went looking for her king and she apparently thought this was this guy in New York. Didn't turn out and she went away. And I thought, well, that's kind of sad. So I literally just took that one story that was in one anthology issue of a sci-fi comic and I made her into a character. Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic, dude. It's in... Uh, you know, for the listeners out there, Freaks and God, something that it does, it's its super cool. It's very unique in my estimation. I, I have never seen it before. So he, Chris has um, public domain characters in his book, and he actually refers to their story in in his issues. And that's something I've never seen before. And it's just so clever. It's so brilliant. Um, there's, he's talking about, the horrible oh no he's talking about this character king of the living dead so it's a villain for the first issue and the editor's note on it as chronicled in the fear-soaked pages of eerie number one 1951 and there's there's multiple things like that with the horrible hand um as seen in the near famous Wiz comics number 34 in 1942 this is brilliant that's it's such a clever thing to do uh it really pulls the history of the comics into this comic in itself. And like, when you do things like that, it makes it feel, and, and this is a weird thing to say because we're indie guys. That's, that's who we are. 
it makes it feel real. Like it makes it feel part of the comics world. It's like, no, no, I'm referring to things that have already happened, things that you have potentially owned or seen, you know, uh, under glass or something like that. I'm, I'm referencing it here because it happened here. Now it's part of my story. And, and it's, it's, it's very brilliant. And, and I love that. Um, and the fact that you took a character that had a, uh, what, a, a one-shot story, a little, a little part in, in one issue, and you took it and you ran with it, uh, that's kind of something I did, too, with the uh, appearance of Daredevil. I read Daredevil, I believe it was issue number two, and it had a character who was, she was done. It was like a, a one-and-done story with her, but I found her story to be so interesting. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find her name. Uh, it's princess sheba sheba i was gonna say it's princess sheba right yeah yeah so princess sheba is she first appeared in daredevil number two and i believe this is 1944 and she her story kind of wraps up in that issue they like i i feel like they kill off the character so in the single image story that i did on the back of second shift i was like i think there's a way to bring her back so i'm just gonna do this single image with her and um i drew her like like she was drawn in the comic, but I ch- changed something up a little bit on her costume. Um, there was this cool snake snake item that had a venom in it, and like if you drop some of the venom into her mouth, it revives her mummified corpse. Ooh. And and so that was super cool. I was like, this is, so, is cool. It's yeah. so cool, right? And it right. was just like you guys didn't do anything else with this character. This is such a cool <laughs> thing that you did here, and then you just kill her off. And I was like, I think there's a way to bring her back. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to create this image. And I put that that totem like around her head like a crown. And I was just like, this is super cool looking. This is a cool idea. So I like something I'm going to do in my spare time, quote unquote spare time. I'm going to draw a, a story with the second shift running alongside with Daredevil and dealing with Princess Sheba. Sheba. And it, it's just like, it's such a cool character and they just like left her by the wayside. They gave her this cool backstory. They did a whole backstory on her and they killed her right away. And I was like, this is insane. Like, why would you, this is gold right here. And uh, so I'm with you uh, just re- reviving, yeah. reviving these characters that have some more life left in them. Um, actually King of the living dead in issue one is actually only from that one issue. Mm. I, I revived him in that. Yeah. So he's only from one. I think yeah. Horrible Hand was in only one issue. I think Ibis, the invincible, that magician, he was the one who put him in that globe and buried him. So both of those characters, both villains in the first issue of Freaks and Gods, only appeared in, I believe, one issue. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Now, I've probably used about 25 or maybe 30 public domain characters in all these issues. Um, so forgive me if I forget the issue that they're from. But there's a character... Um, Journey, in, I think it's Adventures in the Unknown. I, I don't know which issue number. It's a story about a girl named uh, Scarlet. Um, oh, what's her last name? Dalton. And uh, she finds this, this thing, uh, this little totem, and there's a spirit of a monk in there, and then the monk takes her to the future. And she's, oh, I forgot, by <laughs> burying the lead, I forgot to tell you that she's uh, uh, um, uh, from Salem. She's oh. from that time, right? So nice. she goes back and she's telling she's telling her um, her fiance about it, and the fiance's like, "Oh, I don't believe you. You're making up stories." And then she uses the statue, and ends up taking him into like to the present, which is 1950, 
He's freaking out, brings her back. She, he ends up ratting her out as a witch and they burn her and kill him. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I am sorry. That is not fair for her. Yeah. So I brought her back. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> because that's I just thought that was unfair. It was a really cool premise. And they just said, oh, you know what? She died. And then the story is really about how the ancestors of that 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 uh, house that they're in when they're they're doing some remodeling they find her diary and they read it and like well well you know whatever that happened she's dead yeah yeah like, no, no no she's not yeah but that's so what you're talking about and what scott's been talking about and in general just using golden age characters it's it's particularly interesting because it reminds me of something my novel mentor says which is that every novel is a conversation with the novels that come before it. Now, obviously, when you write a novel, you're not being in conversation with 10 million novels or whatever it is, right? You're picking, you're picking your novels from the past to be in conversation with. But what's so fascinating about the last two examples you guys have given is you took something that was public domain and you're like, I would like to continue this conversation. And I would like to take this character, which I think is a cool character, which has been underused, and we're going to bring it back. And we're going to bring it back with my spin, and we're going to turn it into something new. And, you know, in a weird way, that kind of goes to that, again, that first cover I was talking about, right? Sometimes the magic is being able to find that obscure gem, that obscure thing that you love. And you've always wondered, like, why don't more people love this? Maybe it just didn't get a fair shake. Maybe enough people don't know about it, but I'm going to bring it back and I'm going to put my own flavor on it. So again, I think in both of those cases, you guys just mentioned, it's really cool. You found something that you really had an affinity for and that you felt is just so underused and, you know, did a disservice to these really cool characters from an age of comic making where all they did was pump out characters. They just threw shit at the wall and saw what stuck. And if something didn't stick, they're like, okay, well, you know, jump in the dumpster, right? Like that, that's all they had to do. And it was the 40s, so they're like, fuck women. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? I got to say something about that. Um, public domain characters are fantastic, but uh, you got to beware. <laughs> just yeah, got to beware. It's just, it's just not enlightened. Um, yeah, 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 totally, totally. And it, 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 that's, yeah. that's also kind of part of the fun. It's well, like, but, but they didn't point. know what they were doing back there. They didn't know. It's like, exactly. no, this is a badass character. It has some, this has got some legs, man. You should, you should do something with this. And they didn't. And, and guess what? We get to pick the ball up and there's nothing wrong with that. I'll do exactly. it. Exactly. Cause to your point, Scott, back in 1943 or whatever. Yeah. But this character is a woman. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's not a, a viable threat to daredevil. Yeah. Like, come on now, you know, but here we are 80 years later and we're like, uh, yeah. What were you thinking? You idiot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, with the Scarlet Dalton, I mean, she had two things going against her. She was, she was a Puritan. <laughs> I know, you know, so she didn't, she, she was going to die anyway, if you think about it. I mean, but um, I was going to say something about uh, that time frame. Uh, oh, um, I used Flame Girl in uh, my Tales of the Dark Tunnel. So I thought, yeah, yeah, let's, I got, I got Magno and I got Adaman. Let's, uh, let's jazz it up. And I left it up to my pen, to the penciler and he picked Flame Girl. Okay. And her story is she was like Linda Dale, I think. She's the girlfriend slash fiance. That's all that they ever had back then. The fiancés are girlfriends, um, it seemed, of the flame. And he got hurt in this battle against uh, the octopus. It's, it was a main, it was a, it was a villain. 
and he managed to get back and she helped him up on the table and he said, you have to finish my fight. So he, she took this chemical that he drank that gave him flame powers. She drank it. She gets flame powers. I'm like, okay, this is going somewhere, right? She goes to the octopus, immediately gets beat. He suddenly is better and he flies and has to rescue her. I'm like, uh, <laughs> come on. I mean, you guys were like 50% there. You're almost there. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah you, you sniffed it. You sniffed it and then you're yeah, like, I mean, Anna, let's just go back to the same bullshit. <laughs> would it have killed This is, this is fantasy. Have... This isn't this isn't nonsense. <laughs> I mean, okay, would it have killed them to let her go defeat the already half beaten up octopus? If you want to keep your, you, you know what I mean. And she's like, "Hey, I did it!" And everyone's like, "Holy crap, you did it!" Right? And all of a sudden, the flame comes back, and he's like, "I knew you could, and I'm feeling better." Something. <laughs> right. No. Right. She gets beat up, and then he has to save her anyway. I was showing my son, and he was 15 at the time, and he and he was just like. I don't get this. What? She had the flame power. I can fix this now. I can fix this now. Was there anything else you guys wanted to throw down on on uh, on the public domain stuff? I mean, I know we could go on forever um, just riffing. Well, okay. So I had, I and Chris, I'm going to try to, I'm, one, I'm curious if we're in the same public domain uh, Facebook groups. I'm, on, I'm in two of them. And one of them was created by Rob Liefeld because he got kicked out of the one that I was in because the, uh, the host of that one, the creator of that one, he was feeling, I don't know, a certain way and just decided he was going to boot him. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So we were in the same group. Okay. Probably. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to post up actually pretty soon. Um, my characters uh, with the, with the golden age daredevil, you'll see that pretty soon if you're in that same group. Um, so I'm in two groups and um what, what I did in one of them when I, when I first got in, because I was so excited about this, I actually said, and this was, and this was kind of a way of using the group to my advantage, uh, I wanted to know what everyone's favorite public domain character was. Hero, villain, it didn't matter. So then that way, everyone chimed in, and I just started looking everybody up. I'm like, no, that guy's whack. No, he doesn't look good. I was like, this guy does look cool. Let me see what, what he's about. And then so I kind of started making like an index of public domain characters to use potentially in the future. So um, yeah, that was, that was a fun thing to do. So I'll be posting up something in there soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm not much of a commenter. I don't like to comment on stuff. It's just, <clears throat> I think it's my nature. I've always just kind of been that, that guy who just kind of stands off to the side. So um, on social media, it's just someone who just does a lot of likes, mm. but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm on these, I'm on these, um, so if anyone who, who is on those, if, if any moderator and admin of these places, uh, don't kick me off because I'm there. I, I go through these every day. I, I look and see what people are posting. I'm not just I'm not just there mining for information. I literally do like looking at all this cool stuff, you know. But um, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking that in my mind, I'm thinking that 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 the uh, the, the the admins are like, you know, we got to call call the herd of people who don't do anything and i'm hoping nah. that they look at like the numbers of likes i do praying <laughs> out loud look how many likes this guy's giving holy I, crap he's more active than me <laughs> i i think they like the numbers to be honest i think when they're they like when the groups are large so they're not going to mind if uh you know you're just lurking or whatever but if yeah if you're doing the likes it's even better and and honestly i am data mining but i'm also enjoying as well i'm doing both both can be true 
So yeah. it was like, hey, I'm getting information and I like seeing what people do. Sometimes you get like, I don't know, some people try to do their redesigns and I'm like, you just drew Spider-Man. Like that's Spider-Man. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like. I know what one you're talking about. <laughs> right. Like there's obvious influences like where they'll have a public domain character and then there's a, um, you know, a, um, uh, what do we call him, Keith? Uh, corporate. There's a corporate comic uh, version of that character or some, somewhere around the same, right? And yeah. it's like, oh, you just turn this this public domain character into a Thor, you know, or right. Spider-Man or something like that. It's like, that's that's not what this is for. Right. And and something uh, Eric Larson said, because I think he was part of that group as well, but he might have bounced after, you know, the Rob Liefeld debacle because it was just the uh, the host was being too aggressive. It was like, you you're abusing your power, bro. Just like, I'm glad you created this page, but know that there's famous people in here and they're not doing anything. They're just being who they are. And it's not their fault that there's there's groupies in the group. It's not it's not their fault, you mm-hmm. know. So just just let them be. Let the groupies be. You know, if the groupies are stepping ba- stepping over bounds, then you comment to them and you message them and you say, "Hey, calm down, maybe." Like who who knows? Um, but something um, Larson said in one of the groups, and I found that it very interesting, was I don't understand why everyone tries to redesign these characters or use these characters. The benefit of these characters are who they are when you change who they are they're no longer the the characters everyone else was following everyone likes this golden age daredevil because he looks like this and there's a lineage to it but once you change that lineage it's no longer the character that we all liked mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. I, I kind of enjoyed that that point and and it's oh yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say i actually remember that comment and um when i use these characters i actually don't change their costumes I um, unless like unless like like for example I use Dynamic Man and he's wearing like the tidy whitey shorts I just made them I just made it long legging you know yeah. that's uh, you know I'm but um, I the, the closest thing I would say I would do would be like in public domain in the comics like Magno has got like a red shirt on like his suit's red um, in mine he's a slight orange because I've got Adam Man who's wearing red. What yeah, differentiates what I, what I try to do is what makes mine different, which makes them mine, is their personality. Uh, their I I take them where I find them, and then I continue and I give them a history beyond that. So their personality, how they react, things that they would say, that's them, my version. So they look the same as all the other versions, but that's how I make them mine. Yeah, I'm debating with that, too, because I have some ideas poking around in my brain and like, okay, what route do you want to go? Do you want to keep this is the character from the 1940s, right? So he's going to be old as shit or you do or you do the uh, eternal, the eternally 35, right? The Batman is always 35, no matter, you know, unless it's year one or something. But, But beyond that, he's always 35, right? So it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do that? Or do you want to do a legacy thing? And that's something I've, I've dabbled with and thought of like, oh, maybe when I do the Daredevil story, maybe it's Daredevil's son. Maybe his son took over and that's, that's who's in the costume. And then you get a glimpse of the old Daredevil, the original Daredevil, you know, back home or something like that, right? That's something I've toyed around with and it's something I'm still toying with to this day. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's like those those little tweaks that you did. It's just like, well, yeah, but I have another character that's wearing a red shirt, and it's like you don't want to 
You don't want the, it's like the Avenger problem back in the day. Everyone on the team's blonde. You got a blonde haired, blue eyed guy. It's like, this is a problem. Like you need to separate it a bit. So I agree with your, your slight, slight tweak. Um, in my defense, I don't actually have to worry about what to do with my characters because you read the first issue of Freaks and Gods. So you know that the Dark Tunnel just plucks them from wherever they are. Yeah. And then I continue with them. So I didn't even, I, without even trying, it just happened, you know, that I don't, I never really have to worry about Magno's, you know, great grandson having his powers. You know, I, you, you can know, just go to just, that era. I can just pull him out of there and the tunnel can drop him anywhere I want, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's great. I, I, you know, maybe it's, you know, I'm tired. Of, <laughs> I got, I got nothing on that. I thought I had a thought, but it just, it fizzled. So don't worry about it. <laughs> no, it's, it's super cool, man. No, that's, that's a great way around it. It's like, um, are you a fan of Doctor Who? Yeah, actually I am. Yeah. yeah so it's actually, like... it's funny that you mentioned that. My wife and I just literally finished watching seasons one through 10 over the last two months. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm, so... I'm a, I haven't seen the Garibaldi season, the older Doctor. I don't know if you know you mean... him by names. Yeah, Capaldi. Capaldi, yeah, I'm sorry. I think Garibaldi, Garibaldi was the guy who played on uh, Babylon 5. Oh, shit. Okay, maybe. I used yeah, to call Capaldi. him going balding. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think... I haven't seen most of Capaldi season and then the one with the female dark. I haven't seen those ones yet. So, um, but I'm looking forward to, I just, I haven't had the time or, or the access. Yeah, man. Okay. So we have, we have run a long time. Oh yeah. I, no, no, no. I, uh, dude, I, Hey, if, if it wasn't about me editing, we could just run like nine hours and that would be, fun. <laughs> but, um, but we let, let's spend a little bit more time. You know, we talked about this before, and Scott, maybe you can just mention like the one thing, because you and I both kind of went ham um, on like buying stuff. So maybe mention like the last cool thing you bought. And then Scott, next week, and you and I could just dig dig deeper into into our our trends. But so so Scott, what was what was the last like super cool thing that you got in on the collecting side? Uh so uh I've okay. I have been since you mentioned it. I've been looking at some Moon Knight since the trailer had dropped. And so I got some stuff that, that I was looking into. And I found some stuff at SoCal Comics that was cool. And they were essentially cover price. I got a, uh, it's the, the 2014 Moon Knight run with uh, Deckley Shalvin. And I got three through 12. So I think it's a, I think it was a maxi series. So I think it goes up to 12. But uh, so I need to find one, one and two or one, two and three. I think I got four through 12. And so that was cool. It was all cover price. There were three ninety nine. I got them for four bucks, uh, you know, marked. So I was like, yeah, right on. Cool. I'll do that. And uh, I like Declan Shalvey's art. So no problem there. But the coolest thing that I got, and honestly, I'm a fucking idiot. Because if I did this three months ago, I would have got them for uh, a fraction of the price. I would have gotten for a dollar each as opposed to three fifty, which is still pretty, pretty decent, was a profit. And it was the Brandon Graham run that it was like the relaunch in, um, honestly, I can't remember, maybe 2010-ish. Rob Liefeld had a relaunch of the Extreme Studios characters. One of them was Glory, which I highly recommend. If you can find the hardcover, the trade paperback of the relaunch of Glory, it's so freaking good. Glory is essentially was a ripoff of the Wonder Woman character. She just had white hair. She had the spangly outfit or whatever. But the relaunch was completely different. Just like she was the same size as the fucking Hulk. 
and she had scars all over her body. She was like a true Amazon warrior woman. And uh, it was super badass, just such a badass story. And I really enjoyed that. And at the same time, they relaunched Profit. So Glory, I think, I don't know if they relaunched her at one, but then they made the Profit run a continuation of the original series, which was kind of a weird, interesting choice. Um, and that was going for a fraction of the price. But then Jake Gyllenhaal was announced as being the, the actor that was going to play Profit in the upcoming movie. And so those things skyrocketed. And but I was able to get the entire new run um, for a decent price, and it, it worked. It was like eighty-five bucks shipped with tax and everything, but it was equivalent to three fifty a piece. Mm. So it's just like fifty cents over cover price. So it's a, it's like yeah, the, like modern comics are four dollars each. So three fifty, yeah. I'll take it. Yep, yep, I'm with you. Yeah, so for me, uh, I might as well do a kind of compound thing like Scott did there. Scott mentions Moon Knight. Because I was watching, what was I watching? Monday Night Football, I guess. And Monday Night Football was where they dropped the brand new Moon Knight series trailer. And I'm watching the series trailer and I'm like, yeah, wow, that looks a lot like that 12 issue Brian Michael Bendis, David Mack run. Like, I remember a couple of those things. I'm like, I think that's a direct pull from that particular thing. And it's, you know, again, it, uh, I don't know. Believe? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's Believe sorry. Malief, who'd I say? Okay. Mac? David, yeah. David Mac, yeah. Yeah, it was Malief, Malief. Um, so, like, shit, I brought the wrong series. You yeah, I know, like, goddamn, you keep, yeah. <laughs> fucking, uh, you, the fucking Okado. You never fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> God damn. So, uh, so, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, I had that series. And I went downstairs and looked, and I'm like, it's gone. And uh, Chris, you don't know this, but a recurring theme of the podcast is that I have a bunch of shit that I got rid of where I'm just like, I thought I had that or I got rid of it or I knew I got rid of it and now I'm getting it again or I want it again because I'm a knucklehead. And um, so I, I went and tracked down most of those issues. I'm still waiting for a few, but I got the the meaningful ones. And um, but what, you know, like I, I I will leave this for now because I'm going to revisit it. I'm sure over our podcast, the next couple months, Scott, you know, weeks, if not months, what I'm realizing is that I buried the lead here, you know, in, in the jokes that I've made where I've been like, I had this thing, liked it, sort of liked it or got, and then got rid of it for whatever reason. Maybe I sold it for a few dollars. Maybe it was taking up space. Maybe it was part of the decluttering of my life. I did 12 years ago, 13 years ago when I just didn't consider my future self, right? Um, plus, I moved seven times in eight years. You, you want to you whittle your stuff down, I suggest you move seven times in eight years. Um, but what, I'm, what the, the lead I buried is that my, my instincts can be trusted. You know, like, here's, here's the thing. I'm, I got rid of things that people are valuing now. And what that means is I can trust myself. So... I'm not going to mention anything, but what I am going to mention is that I'm tired of being behind on these things. And what I am going to do is I am going to do my best to take a trip down memory lane and just think of every single comic that I remotely like, that I've gotten rid of, that I don't have anymore, and I'm going to consider buying it. You know, if it's super expensive, obviously I can't do that, but if it's, if it's semi-cheap or it's cheap, I am getting it. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, it was kind of like this lesson of like, wait a minute, I'm ignoring a larger story here, which is my instincts are pretty decent and I should trust them and I should go revisit them. So the next time this happens, I can be like, yeah, I bought that for two bucks five months ago or three years ago or whatever it was. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, interesting. It sounds like your collection is uh, like a, a Mandela effect. It's like, well, I, thought, I thought I had that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, my uh, my comic books. Um, I, I just recently moved. I'm I'm in Tennessee. I'm in Tennessee now. I'm from Wisconsin. My comic books are are in long boxes on two pallets in my son's grandparents' basement. Oh, so I have no idea what. <laughs> I got I got some boxes here. I've been collecting over the time, and that's where mine are. Okay, what's that box behind you? Is this Deadpool? Oh, that it? right there. Yeah, what that's is that? uh, that's Unicron. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I haven't. I don't know where I'm gonna put it yet. I mean, you know. And then probably can't see next to it. I've got three. Um, what are they called Jaegers, I think, from uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, but I don't know where to put them. I have a room now. I can put them. My wife wasn't really all that excited in her last place, but now I got my own room. Yes, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. do I. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're all we're all like in our rooms. <laughs> we're all, yeah, crammed in our. Go to your room. Fine. Exactly. Exactly. My room's insane. If like there was an earthquake, I think I would die in here. <laughs> <laughs> it the, is. The, the, the comics are stacked so high in here that yeah. it's uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, you would you would be buried under incredibly heavy rubble. There, it's. I would you'd love be happy. to. I would. I would love to have one of those things where uh, you see it in movies where the guy's like, he's like up high on the ladder, but it has wheels and stuff. So he could push off of the bookshelf and then he just scrolls across and then he finds something else, you know, like I would love something like that. It would be amazing. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you're going to ask me, what I bought was um, I bought a trade of uh, the 70s Super Friends. <laughs> Oh, nice. All right. Uh, but I introduced my wife two years ago to Funkos, and that was a huge mistake. I, I had a huge Funko problem for a couple of years. I got up to about 350 of them. Mm -hmm. And then I have been slowly selling them off because, like, it was like a year and a half, maybe two years worth of an adventure. And, like, my problem, like, I don't get addicted to drugs, alcohol, or anything like that. I can, you know, it's like I can take it or leave it. But the thing I do get addicted to is collecting. And so one of the things that I was addicted to was the Funko Pops. And so once I, once I got hooked, it was like crack. My buddy gave me a set of Planet of the Apes Pops because there's not a lot of Planet of the Apes stuff. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, I saw these things and I know you love Planet of the Apes. So I got you. He's like, oh, cool. And it was kind of like, I don't, I don't want these things. And then before I knew it, it was like, hey, man, you got Funko Pops? And it was like, I had everything. It was like, yeah, I was all scratchy. It was like, <laughs> come on. Well, yeah. For me, I, I've got, uh, this is going to be a shocking disclosure. I'm a huge Prince fan. So I have oh. two of the three Prince Pops that came out. I, I, like I also have two of the three. Yes. Did you avoid the one with the three? With the That's the one I didn't That's the one I avoided, dude. I, so Chris, I, got I had the, no idea you're, uh, wait, well, wait a minute. Scott's also oh. a pretty big Prince fan. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, But my wife is a huge horror fan. So I mean, what I mean, she's not buying them constantly. It's just that um, 
and I guess this was a bad this isn't a bad problem to have as a comic book fan but she's like hey let's let's go to the comic book stores I want to look for some Funkos really oh. <laughs> you know but recently she finally found yeah, exactly she, she found um um Annabelle right and if oh, you guys yeah. are familiar with that yep. that movie the first thing she does she takes it out and she puts it behind the glass door of our dvd collection and i'm like well if you know the movie you can't take it out it's supposed to be behind glass forever oh fuck it's <laughs> like great now i can't watch my sci-fi <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah I've, I've been slowly selling them off because i have a like it was like i said i had a giant collection of it and like when i get addicted i get addicted and i go hard in the paint so like i had this Luke Skywalker in Storm Stormtrooper gear, which was a Comic Con exclusive from years and years back, and I think I paid five hundred dollars for it. Mm. Yes, because I'm a crazy person. Yeah, so we're not doing that. But oh no, you know what? I'm sorry. I bought it for three fifty, and I sold it for five twenty five. So thankfully, it it paid off. But um, I, that's how that's how I do it. Like if I get addicted to something, I just go all in. It's just like, well, yeah, this is rare. It's never going to be cheaper than this. I actually own Thor one and Loki two, which are the very first Marvel pops ever created. So I, I still own those two, and I got them for a pretty good deal. I think like one seventy five or whatever, and I think they go for somewhere around like four, four or five a piece. So it, it's stuff like that. But I've been slowly selling them off, and. Um, I loved retro stuff. I loved old school shit. So I have like, uh, or I had, cause I sold them was like space ghost, the space ghost pops like with Zorak and all of them. And, uh, Brack, Brack, I think. And, uh, then I dino mutt and, uh, uh, blue Falcon. And so I had all these Hanna Barbera ones that I really liked. Um, I have my firefly pops. Like I still have those, but it's like, I'm slowly selling them off. Like I had Thundercats, He-Man, and I've been selling those bad boys off. And thankfully, they're paying for my other more current habit, which is comic books. So it's just like, all right, I got 500 bucks from that pop. Oh, hey, what $500 comic can I buy? It's like, no, you're doing this wrong. Stop it. But I yeah. can't. Yeah. But that, in, in a way, you've actually explained why I got rid of those old comics. Because I tend to not stay in one place. I tend to move on to the next thing. And so it was like, okay, well, I'm on to, you know, I don't know, vintage superpower figures or something like that. So then I'd sell off the comics I didn't care about and buy the superpowers figures. And then I'd move on to the next thing, you know, and the next thing after that, as opposed to just keeping this stuff, I would tend to churn once I would get bored with it. My wife has since talked me out of that and just like, stop getting rid of stuff. If you want it that bad, just spend money on it instead of trying to keep this churn of collecting going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because one, you've already learned to live without that money. So it's not important to you. It's like you might not be into it. Like for me, the pops, like the toy thing, honestly, I was kind of, I was completely out of the toy thing. Yeah. And when my friend bought me those pops, it kind of re-triggered something, but I'm out of it again. It's just like, no, I don't want to be there. And yeah. like I have, I had um, storage space full of old retro toys that I bought because number one, I love them. I was like, I love Optimus or I love Megatron. And Starscream. So I had a bunch of old Transformer toys, but I just like looking at them. And then once I was done looking at them, I put them away. But I'm kind of, it's like, that's not something I'm looking to relive. I don't want that because number one, space is an issue. And two, comics are this thin. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. oh, I can have 5,000 of them, 
and it's not going to take up as many as much space as 350 pops would. And then Chris, something you said, sorry, real quick, was uh, you bought a trade paperback of Super Friends. I got uh, Super Friends number one for 20 bucks. And then I think it's number 13 or I don't know if it's 13. The first appearance of the Wonder Twins. So I think I have two copies of that. And that's actually from the Super Friends line. I think that this, um, I think this trade actually has on, on the covers. I was just quickly flip, flip through it. On the cover, it, it has uh, what is it, Wendy and uh, what's his name, and then the twins as well. So it's got both. Um, one thing I can say is that I have never sold any of my comics. That's the one thing I have never done. I, everything I buy, I have kept. It's like been the one thing. It 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 bit me when I was ten. It was there when I needed it growing up in a you know. Um, it has always been comics. You know, um, I buy. I don't. I'll never buy 300 of, of, of any action figures or toys or collectibles. I will buy 300 comics mm -hmm. <laughs> and I will die in a mound if I have to, but I, I just, <laughs> sometimes there have been, you know, you get to points in life where, you know, money is tight and things are looking weird and you think maybe I should, whenever I would think about selling some comics or my whole collection, you know, um, I'd almost be physically ill. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of a line I think I've said before on this podcast, which is take someone's wallet and they're broke for a week. Introduce them to comics and they're broke forever. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, all right. So, so with that, um, you can find me on social media, at least, at uh, Keith underscore uh, Invader. That is the Keith Invader Instagram handle um, for, for all things me and all things Invader as well. And also at Kadoja Kaiju. That is the Kadoja-related Instagram. And then in terms of websites, I have the website KeithRFoster.com where you can read up on Kadoja, you can read up on Three Protectors, you can read up on me, and you can check out some blog posts. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T -T -T on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Oh, uh, and for websites... AccidentalAliens.com. You can find Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. Wow, you guys have a lot of places. I, I'm nowhere. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's uh, Freaks and Gods, and the and is spelled out because they won't let <laughs> ampersands. Uh, I'm on. You're like, they're from Detroit, clearly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't know what and that is. The, <laughs> and for the old folks out there, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> and that's actually currently where I have like a fan page for Freaks and Gods. Um, I did buy a domain domain name, but I haven't started putting a simple website together for myself yet. In due time. Coming. Due time. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Hit up Chris on all of those uh, social medias. If you're interested in the comic book Freaks and Gods, number one, check out the Kickstarter. It's When's it running until, Chris? Yeah, uh, I can tell you this. It's running until, let's see, not January 31st. It'd be February 7th, I think will be, or, or February 8th, somewhere around there. It's the Monday. So whatever that day is, that's going to be the last day of the Kickstarter. When people listen to this, there's still a little bit of time. There's the new issue, volume two, number one, and the graphic novel. People can get single issues as add-ons. There's all kinds of goodies in there. So if you guys missed that for any reason, 
or you're uh, weird about that kind of thing for whatever reason, hit Chris up, message him, slide in his DMs, ask him about his comics, how much they are. Uh, he'll figure out a way for you to pay him and then he will send those out to you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Chris, it was, it was a blast to have you on, man. Thanks for hanging with us this whole time. The time flew fast. And again, it was, it was a great time. And before yeah, it was, you- it was awesome. Thanks. Sorry. It was, it was a lot of fun. No, we absolutely love you having you on the next time you have another issue or something out, a Kickstarter coming out. We'd love to have you back. And then uh, everyone out there, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, something we talked about in this episode that you liked, you want to hear a little bit more about it, you want to know a little more about public domain, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com, and we will answer your questions live here on the air. Oh, that reminds me. Keith, tell them about uh, leaving us five-star reviews, and then I got some uh, some housekeeping I do right at, right before the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, so you can find us on Apple podcasts, go to making comics, throw us five stars, please throw us some comments on top of it. It only takes a couple minutes and it really does like, you know, look, the algorithm gods are against us. And this allows you to take control over the algorithm gods and spread the word by simply leaving a review. So if you're listening, we're hoping you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, don't be afraid to take a minute or two and, uh, and throw us a great review. And uh, before we take off, uh, Chris, I don't know if you have any input input on this stuff. Um, so I got a couple of things. Number one, uh, last episode, me and Keith, we got into talking about signatures on comic books. When did that start happening? When did that become in vogue? Um, we know, or I know, and well, Keith knows because I said so, in the Daredevil issues in 1944, uh, Charles Biro would sign his name giant on the covers. There was quite a bit of time where we couldn't find signatures on covers we started talking about this. My buddy, Steve Whistler Jr., he wrote in to me and he said, the EC artists in the 1950s uh, that signed the covers are uh, Fieldstein Woodman Cayman Inglis. Uh, also, Jack Davis' signature was huge with a circle around it. John Severin signed his Cracked Magazine covers going all the way, the back, all the way back to the 50s. Uh, sometimes he signed his name backwards and other odd gimmicks. Again, an EC guy. Uh, Kirby signed his Sandman stuff in 1975. I remember that off the top of my head, partially because I own them and partially because they were huge. Uh, 1968 with uh, John Romita, uh, yeah, in the bottom left circle of Captain America and uh, and the Falcon, number 140, uh, for instance. Bernie Wrightson also signed his stuff in the 70s. Uh, House of Secrets, 192, for example. So very cool. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for doing the research on that. Uh, we appreciate it. We're still waiting on Ed to get back to us about Spotify and how to leave a, a review there. But look at Steve. One issue or one, uh, one episode, he's already got our back. He's already covered it. We wanted to know when that stuff happened. He let us know. It happened all the way through the 50s and uh, 60s and 70s. Yeah, rock on, rock on. All right. Well, with that, uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just want to. I I believe that this. You know, if you find out otherwise, you know, I I believe that a lot of the reason why the artists didn't sign, or they weren't listed in there, was because they just considered it as throwaway junk. They never really thought of it as art. They just did it to make a paycheck, and they did another one. Yep. Uh, definitely, that's something I've heard over the years. Um, it it, it wasn't. It wasn't art to a lot of these guys and it wasn't art to a lot of the mass media or 
the public, I would say. I don't know. There was a mass media back then. Um, but there were artists, obviously, that was like, this is my art. I want it back. You know, like Kirby, for instance, wanted his work back. You know, it's his hard work. But there were other people. It was like, this is my job. It's like working in a coal mine for them. It's just, I, mm -hmm. this is my skill. This is something I can do. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, and one more thing before we go out here. I actually got someone that wrote in. They had some questions. Um, and, you know, we asked for questions. So Daniel Sawyer, he wrote in. Hi, I've been listening to your podcast every week for the last few months now, and it always gives me enthusiasm to get drawing when I listen to it on the drive home from work. I'm an inspiring comic book creator with no background or training, and I was wondering if you could, if I could ask you or the show some practical questions about equipment or some terms that you guys mention frequently. Just listening to you guys talk about your work is inspiring. Here's a couple of questions that have come to mind so far. Number one, you mentioned flatting or flats a lot, but I don't understand what that means. Um, okay, thank you for the questions, Daniel. That's number one. Uh, so I explained this to him uh, privately, but I'll share it with you guys. Like that's something I, I forgot. We're like what, 63, 64 issues in Keith or episodes in. So there's some stuff that we've talked about in the first season of this or the early run of this. And I haven't mentioned in a while. So flatting is the basic colors that you do when you're coloring your comic book. Uh, sometimes you'll hire that out. Someone that'll just do the basic coloring uh, that you would send to your colorist. And you're going to want to use a flat brush. You can use the pencil tool if you're in Photoshop. Um, you do not want to use the brush tool because it will have a feathered edge. So flatting uh, basically is the basic colors. Your shirt is red, your pants are blue, your, sho your shoes are black. So you're not doing any highlights, shading, any special effects. That's that's not your job. That's for the colorist to do. So when I talk about flats, that's what I mean. Um, and then so if you're a creator out there and you want to learn how to flat, I highly recommend going on YouTube and looking up how to flat a comic book. They'll show you the tools that you have to use. But just letting you guys know, don't use a, a feathered brush or anything like that. The edges will uh, uh, not be selected when the, the colorist grabs them. So that would be a problem. Uh, look it up on YouTube. And then the second question, can you recommend a scanner for scanning my pages or maybe suggest a process? I'm drawing physical drawings on 11 by 17 blue line pages, then inking on the original pages. Uh, my first set of pages, I was using watercolor directly on my originals, but then I decided that's probably not a good idea in the long run. I'm thinking probably I should ink scan, then print new pages to color on and don't want to spend the money on a scanner and end up with something that wasn't made for the job. I also don't know if there is a home printer that can print 11 by 17 cardstock or watercolor paper. Um, so if you have any recommendations, you can clue me in on what the process that you use yourself, and I really appreciate it. So the, the printer that I have myself, Chris, I don't know which one you have, but I have an HP OfficeJet 7612. There is different versions of this. I think my old roommates had 7610. Um, so I have the next generation up, but this is quite a few years old. So um, uh, that's what I use. It scans 11 by 17. I'm not sure if it accepts thicker hard stock paper. I think it accepts blue line paper, but I don't know about watercolor uh, paper that's a little bit more dense. What do you use? I use, <laughs> I don't do anything physical. I do everything in Clip Studio Paint. Or oh, okay. studio, but I did at one point. I was traditional inker, pretty much up to about five years ago. What I used was a, the scanner I had was a literally full full size seventeen by eleven by seventeen, 
and it was made by a company called Mustech. I think they went out of business. Um, but they do make them, just a matter of finding, you know, the one that's affordable for you. The printer I had wasn't HP, it's, it was very, it was huge, it was long, but what's important is back fed. If you can get a printer that can be back fed, the thickness of the paper won't matter because the problem with thick paper on a regular printer is going around the intake wheels. But if it's fed straight back, the paper stays flat the whole time and then the okay. printer head goes over it. Right on. So he could probably use something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much. That's great information. That's something I didn't have. That's how I like my ladies to get it back fed. Uh, so Daniel Sawyer, that is some information for you and everyone out there that needs it. Uh, thank you so much for writing in uh, to you and Steve both. We appreciate it. Again, before we take off, uh, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions like that, stuff we've talked about, hit us up there and we'll help you out as best as possible. Yeah. So Chris, again, thank you so much for joining us, man. Um, and we, and then to everybody else, uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, yeah.